Are you a mom launching kids into adulthood? If so, you need to know about my Empty Nest Mom Retreat. It is the gathering for moms who have at least one child over the age of 18 or who have launched them all and have a full empty nest. September 27th through the 29th are the dates, and Cedar Lake Retreat Center in Cedar Lake, Indiana is the place. You can fly into Chicago airports and drive to Cedar Lake in a little over an hour. Come join me. Best Value Registration is available through May 27th, and space is limited to just 100 moms, so don't delay. Check out jillsavage.org slash retreat to register today. I thought I was the hero of the story and I would have told you that I was a humble person. Like there's a big difference between arrogance, which is brash, loud, out there making a scene and pride. You can be completely silent and be totally prideful. You're listening to the No More Perfect Podcast, where we talk about strengthening the relationships that mean the most to you. I'm Jill Savage, and I live in normal Illinois. I'm committed to talking honestly about the messy, less than perfect, but normal stuff of life. I'm so glad you've joined me. Well, hello, friends, and welcome back to the No More Perfect Podcast. You know, I am a sucker for a good love story. Whether I'm reading it in a book or watching it in a movie, I love watching a love story unfold. And I have a question for you today. Have you ever thought about the fact that you have a love story with God? You do. And we're going to unpack that thought today. Helping me do that is Bob Wheatley. Bob is an author, a podcaster, and a former professional athlete. After graduating from the University of Southern California, Bob played four years of professional baseball in the Toronto Blue Jays and the St. Louis Cardinals minor league systems. Bob is also the author of the new book, Our Heart's Desire, How Our Stories Reveal the Thing We Want most. Welcome to the No More Perfect Podcast, Bob. Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, Bob, you've had quite a life journey and um, had a lot of experiences in the in your life. And most people who write books have had some aha moments in their lives. So will you tell us a little of your story and your aha experiences that have brought you to today? Yeah, well, it, it's funny. Obviously, you and I are connecting virtually today, but I know that you're a normal I, I lived in normal. I played in normal. I played for the normal corn belters of the Frontier no. League. Yeah, that was my last stop playing in professional baseball. So I played for a couple really? years for the Blue Jays, played for a year and a spring training with the Cardinals. And then I spent a couple of months in your neck of the woods. So we might have been grocery shopping together and didn't even know it. <laughs> That is so crazy. Yeah. It is a small world. <laughs> yep. Yep. So I lived in normal. You asked for like an aha moment. Yep. There's so many that I can choose, but the first thing that came to mind, just given where you are today for this podcast recording, I had an aha moment in normal 
which really ended my baseball career. And wow. I always say I was a good baseball player. I wasn't a world-class player. I, you know, I, for, I was fortunate enough to get a division one scholarship. I went to my dream school at USC, but I was never like an all world player. So I was a 26 round draft pick of the Toronto mm-hmm. blue Jays, number 774 overall. Okay. They paid me a thousand dollars and gave me a plane ticket. That was basically <laughs> it. I was, I was just a body. And so I always knew that getting to the big leagues was a long shot, but it was something that I really wanted. And I told myself that I would keep playing as long as I thought I had a chance. Mm. And so this aha moment in normal was when it finally hit me. Okay. Like I'm, I'm done. I don't have a chance. I don't belong in the big leagues and that's okay. But to, you know, make, make a long story short, I had, I was a pitcher for the, uh, for the corn belters. And I have, I have an outing doesn't go all that great. Just, you know, three or four innings, give up handful of runs sitting in the dugout, watching the pitcher that came in for me, the next pitcher. And he's amazing. He's throwing like 95 miles an hour. He's throwing four pitches for strikes, like a million times better than I am. Mm. And he was still playing in normal Illinois for the normal corn belters, making $800 a month or whatever we were. And when I saw him, his name was Sean Blackwell. I'm watching Sean pitch. I'm like, okay, got it. Uh I, I need to go home. I am Mm. done. And so, like I said, it was always going to be a long shot if I was going to make it, but I do think there's something worthwhile to, to chase a, a difficult thing to really pour yourself into something that seems impossible and to really give it a go. So yeah, yeah, of all the ahas that we have, that was the one that, that stood out. Yeah. That's huge. Talk for a moment of how that felt emotionally for you when you had that aha moment, Mm -hmm. how, how was that emotionally for you? It was shockingly unemotional. Really? If we're, if we're defining emotional as something Cause yes, I mean, the, the dream is dying in that sense. Like, Oh, I guess, I guess I'm retiring tomorrow. I guess I'm not going to be a big leaguer, even (laughs) though I've been training for years and sacrificing for years. But yeah, I would say it was, it was shockingly unemotional. In fact, for me to play for two years with the blue Jays and then not what happened, I got released. That's just Mm -hmm. baseball jargon for, they fired me. They called me, I think it was on Halloween. And they're like, Hey, Bob, we're not going to invite you back to spring training. So sorry. Is that, that was just gut wrenching. Cause it's like getting Mm. broken up with the first time. Like, Oh, this is terrible. This is the worst thing that's ever (laughs) happened to me. And then, you know, I fortunately get another opportunity with the Cardinals play well for them. They invite me to the second spring training and then in spring training, kind of the same deal. The farm director calls me in, Hey Bob, we just don't have a spot for you. You got to go home. So that breakup didn't feel quite as bad. And then that third time in normal. And again, you get knocked down, get back up. Like I do that a couple of times is because I thought I still had a chance. I thought my best sure. baseball was still in front of me. And when I was watching Sean Blackwell pitch, I'm like, I will never, never be as good as this guy is. And mm. for some reason he is still not in the big leagues. So you asked about the emotions of it. It, it felt, I felt a ton of peace on it. Well, like, it okay. sounds like it really, yeah, it that came down, over. 
Yeah, it was very factual for you. Like you had, you just faced the facts of that. And, you know, it's just as important that we know our strengths as well as our weaknesses, like to, to, to come face to face with that. But sometimes that's, that's hard to do. But I appreciate, I appreciate you sharing just a little bit of that journey. So ultimately it, you know, that's a part of your story, right? This is a a part of your story. What was your journey that brought you to writing a book about story? Yeah. Again, there's a bunch of factors. I don't know if I can point to one specific, like, oh, this was it. But among them, number one, I would say I've always been a reader. As you might imagine, there's a ton of time in the minor leagues, buses and clubhouses and stuff like that. So instead of scrolling Instagram, which I did, but like I, you know, you supplement some of that with reading time. And so I was always a reader. I started journaling pretty heavily when I came to the Lord. Mm. And that's another story in itself. Like I was, I was baptized at maybe 12, 13. I went to Christian Mm -hmm. schools in middle school, high school, but I, I truly don't think I was a Christian until I was 25. In fact, I don't know if I was a, or I would say that I was not a Christian when I was in normal playing there. Okay. And if you asked me at Mm -hmm. that time, if you and I ran into each other at the supermarket, I would have told you I was a Christian because I pray before meals. I pray before I go to bed. I went to Christian school. So I've memorized, you know, a handful of Bible verses that makes me a Christian. Mm. And, but that's not, that's not how Jesus defined it. You know, he said, if Mm -hmm. you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's not at that in keeping his commandments to a certain degree, you become a Christian. It's that as a Christian, you want to obey him. Like your desires completely change. And so it's not about pleasing yourself. Yeah. It's not about putting yourself before others. It's all right. If I love him. Yeah. I mean, I will, I will fail periodically in my pursuit of trying to trying to follow him, but the general direction of my life, it is yes, Lord. I mean, it's, it's what Paul says in Romans. Like I do what I don't want to do. Who will free me mm-hmm. from the body of this death? Like I'm trapped in this body of sin with a renewed spirit. And so I feel like the renewing mm-hmm. of my spirit really came when, uh, you know, my baseball dream ended. I was actually running a protein bar business while I played in the minor league. So that mm-hmm. was kind of plan B or plan one, a yeah. business soon went up, went under after, you know, my, my baseball retirement and I a longstanding relationship, like a several year relationship that ended abruptly and, and pretty ugly. So it was like baseball business girl gone. And I officially wow. handed my life over to God as the guy who would have told you he was a Christian for a long time but I really wasn't. It was that moment of surrender saying, Lord, you are the author of my story. I have proven that the the future that I created, this beautiful thing off in the distance will not be baseball girl gone. I'm left with nothing. I surrender. That was about five and a half years ago, just after 
my baseball career ended. Wow. Wow. So, you know, I just, I love this because honestly, it somewhat mirrors my husband's uh, story. One of the things uh, our marriage has been through a really, uh, it was, went through a difficult time about 12 years ago. And um, my husband was a pastor for 20 years, but uh, after our marriage went through its uh, difficult season, my husband surrendered like never before. And that was huge for him. He said, you know, I would have told you that I was a follower of Christ. I absolutely, but it, but I, this is different. A real surrendering of God's leadership in your life. And it brings about incredible freedom and joy, doesn't it? 100%. Yeah. And I, it's funny since moving out to Nashville, which I moved shortly thereafter, after all that stuff ended, baseball business girl, like I'm mm-hmm. in Nashville, maybe six months later, since coming out here, I've been in touch with more people that are in the mission field, like leaving the country and coming back. And so mm-hmm. they'll be in the field praying for people like, Hey, like, how can we meet your needs and all this stuff? Like, what do you need as your local church in, you know, this village, that village. And oftentimes what they hear is like, well, hold on we need to pray for you because you're in America. Like you guys need mm. our prayers. Like, what are you talking about? We need your prayer. We have highways and, and and Netflix and we have all these awesome things. And they're like, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You have, you have all right. this stuff that's going to cloud your vision and maybe even dampen your need for God. Like I think about in, Revelation three, where Jesus is talking through John to the churches and the lukewarm church, the church at Laodicea, it totally reminds me of a place where I grew up, Orange County, like a a very affluent, very fortunate upbringing, just an amazing place to live. But in Revelation three, as Jesus is writing to this church, the lukewarm church, you know, geographically, they have hot springs that are close. They have a cold river that's close. So that's kind of like, hey, you need to be either hot or cold. Do lukewarm. They had like this tepid, gross sewer system, you know, aqueducts that was like giving them their drinking water. And their drinking water was known for just being disgusting. Like it would make people throw up. So Jesus says, hey, be warm, be hot or be cold. Do not be lukewarm. I will spit you out of my mouth. He says, you think you are rich, but you are poor. You are wretched. Mm-hmm. You are naked. Like he says all these things. And that's, I think that oftentimes in America, and even worse, like if you think you're a Christian and you're just kind of somebody who prays before dinner, but haven't turned your life over to God. Like Jesus says, whoever loses his life, for my sake, will find it. That's the person who finds it. Mm -hmm. You have to give your life over. It's not, you know, whoever prays before dinner will find their life. It's like, no, you need to surrender completely. And then, then you have life. If you haven't, if you haven't done that and you're the 25 year old dream chaser, trying to make it to the big leagues, trying to make a bad relationship, stick together, you know, wanting to, start a business and have people think I'm awesome, successful, 
a man, like all these lies. It wasn't until I truly lost my life, said, Lord, I say, yes, I'm just going to follow you. I'm going to read you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to fall in love with you day by day. Yeah. That's when it started to make sense. Yeah, that is the love story. Man, that is the love story that God has for all of us. And um, really, I think that is the journey that uh, took you to um, this concept of story and love stories and really being able to see God's bigger story in uh, the stories around us as well as our own story. So talk about that. In your book, one of the things is pretty unique. I would say your book is a um, it's a perfect book for people that are movie lovers because you do a lot of movie quoting and uh, references in your book. Why was that? Well, I am one of those movie lovers, so it just it just kind of flowed. <laughs> from that. And yeah, if we think about the title of the book, our heart's desire, how our stories reveal the thing we want most, that subtitle Mm -hmm. is really twofold. Mm -hmm. And what we've been talking about for the first part of our discussion here is the stories that we tell ourselves. Like if I could only get to the big leagues, if I could only win the approval of this group, this person, then I'll be fulfilled. It's like insert lie here, how our stories reveal the thing we want most. But then you mentioned the movie part that was, I mean, that's a huge portion of the book where I believe we have this narrative written on our hearts. It's the hero, the villain, the love interest to be saved. You begin in paradise. That paradise is undone. The entire movie novel Broadway show is trying to restore that paradise. Like we keep saying, we keep seeing this master story told over and over again, just with different faces. And so yeah, you asked how that came about. I, as a reader slash, you know, novice writer was starting to learn about stories. I was just interested in that. All right, let's learn about creating characters and building worlds and how do all these things tie together and the different types of stories and things like that. And I've also read the Bible in a year with a mentor of mine here in Nashville for the last five years in a row, just ever since moving Mm -hmm. to Nashville, that was something that he challenged me to do. It's like, all right, if you're serious about your faith, if you've truly lost your life, like, let's do it. Let's dive into the word. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't make me a pastor or a theologian, like I didn't go to seminary, but on a macro level, like if I zoom out, I am constantly reminding myself of the story that God has written every, every year, yes. cover to cover, being reminded, okay, here's where we began. Here's where we went. Here's where we will eventually end up book revelation end times like mm-hmm. every year. And so what I realized is it, it was like in an instant, and this is the first chapter of my book, which I'm, I'm not going to give away, but I'm reading a science fiction novel. And it was like mm-hmm. the right side of my brain learning about stories. And then the left side of my brain, like reading scripture and like understanding God's master story talked yeah. in an instance. Like you do realize it's the same story, right? It is that mm. hero, villain, love interest to be saved, paradise lost, paradise restored. Like, have you wondered, Bob? Have you wondered? why we keep telling that story over and over again. Is it just because we love the matrix, the hunger games, star Wars, Braveheart? Like, is it purely to 
you know, put butts in seats and, or we all have the same maker. We all have the same creator wants us to know him. And that's the story that he has written for us. So that's, that's the premise of the book. It's like, Hey, we have this story that's written on our hearts. And then look at all these awesome movies, novels, Broadway shows that you already enjoy. Have you wondered why you enjoy them? Is it purely when you're watching Mm -hmm. the matrix, is it purely because you like Kung Fu and CGI, or do you really, when you see Neo destroy the matrix, there's something in you that's best. Like this is right. Having a long awaited Messiah come and destroy this prison that mankind is under and set them free. And then they can live in paradise forever. Like that is the story of scripture. And I believe that's why we keep telling it over and over again with different faces. Wow. That's so insightful and something that I think that we are unaware of, but boy, it can change the way that we, when we're reading a book, if we can actually apply that spiritual side to it, when we're watching a movie to actually recognize why we get drawn into that. Mm -hmm. So powerful. So talk a little bit more about God's story. Talk just a little bit more about that and what it is, uh, what we're drawn Mm -hmm. to in God's story as we watch these stories. Yeah. Well, as you were saying that about like, as you're watching a movie, it totally changes your perspective on things. And, and, you know, as, as that's going on, the first thing that I thought of was a specific example where that happened. It was, I know we're just coming out days. So it wasn't this Christmas, but last Christmas. And I was, I was in California with my family and we're watching jingle all the way. Okay. Have you seen jingle all the way? It has Arnold Schwarzenegger as Sinbad. I think it came out like late nineties, maybe. And it's just this like, you know, this cute little Christmas movie. It's not like on the Mount Rushmore of you got to watch this, but you know, we're watching it. And the premise of the movie is you have this workaholic dad, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and his son just like wants to be loved by his dad. That's it. And he really wants this superhero doll. It's called a turbo man doll. At the end of the movie, it turns out that Arnold dresses up as turbo man in this huge parade with the entire city. And the son is just enamored by his dad. And he has this moment, like my dad is a superhero. Mm. And I remember I'm watching that. And it's like this dumb Christmas movie, like entertaining, but you know, it's, (laughs) it's not supposed to be a tearjerker at all. And I'm sitting there and like, I'm literally tearing up on the couch. I'm like, Bob, you need to clean this up. Like your brother's going to see this. Like you will never live this down. And what I realized in that moment, it had nothing to do with Arnold. It had nothing to do with Turbo Man. Like, of course not. What I was feeling in that moment is I have the same desire that little boy had. I want to see strength. I want to see power. I want to have a father, a heavenly father that I can celebrate in front of everyone. So it's little things like that where... And I was just in the in the beginning stages of writing this book, but what I going back to the subtitle, how our stories reveal the thing we want most. I don't know if the the people that created Jingle All the Way were Christians. I don't know if they've ever read the Bible. What I believe is they don't have to be. Like that moment where you have that son 
looking at his father, wanting to connect. He gets it. His father is strong and powerful and good and all these things. That's, that's God. That is our longing. That's what we want. And so, yeah, uh, I guess if my brother listens to this show, he'll know that I was crying over Jingle All. But, you know, it, it's stuff like that where I'm able to to connect with God on a deeper level and in more ways by understanding those longings that we have. Yeah. And, that you know, I, I think very few of us have ever thought about that. I mean, honestly, I mean, I think I know it, but I don't know that I had put the words to it until I learned about your book and and began to think about it and to think about, you know, to think about my love story with God. Uh, I think about giving my life to Christ. I think about my faith, but I don't know that I've ever used those words of really evaluating my love story with God and looking at where he pursued me, um, looking at where he, um, accepted me, uh, where he has loved me, uh, in spite of, um, my challenges in life. And when you really begin to look at it through that kind of a lens and you think of your relationship with God as a love story, that is powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I saw that as I was reading scripture on, like I saw on the page, but I also saw it in my life as well. And there's two different, uh, two different examples in the book where back-to-back chapters or or moments are kind of reflecting that love story dynamic where you have chapters 11 and 12, she doubts it, he proves it. And so what that means is oftentimes if you look at a love story on screen or whatever it might be, and you know, not every hero, not every protagonist has to be the, the male masculine figure. Like you could have, you know, Katniss Everdeen. She is absolutely the hero, the protagonist. But when you look at uh, scripture, God oftentimes talks about the house of Israel or the church as a lover bride, you know, it's, it's the feminine to his masculine. So that's the way that I wrote the book. And so if chapter 11 is she doubts it, it's God or the hero, whoever professes his love makes it known, but she's guarded. She's like, whoa, too much, mm-hmm. too soon. Like if you think about Adrian and Rocky, right? A, you know, Rocky sees uh Polly's sister. He's attracted to her. He's like, hey, yo, Adrian, you got a you got a boyfriend, you know? And she's like, <laughs> she wants nothing to do with Rocky because she's never been pursued before. Yes. She doesn't know, like, can I can I trust this guy? So there's the initial doubt and it could be, and this wasn't the case with Rocky, but like some other hero, maybe he's put his foot in his mouth. Maybe maybe he's been a bad guy up until that point. So her rejection is justified, but he continues to pursue. She doubts it. He proves it. And when he proves it, she somehow sees the hero in a different light. So that same hero that asked her out, she rejected maybe like the next day he helps you know, this elderly woman walk across the street or something. Yeah. You know, she's just sitting there in her car with her friends. They're joking around, but then she sees him Yeah, in a totally different light. She's like, oh, maybe I got that wrong. Yep. So it's the, she doubts it. He proves it. And maybe it's not immediately like she jumps out of the car and jumps in his arms. It's like a slow thing. And so we saw that's us with God. That's the, the, 
nation of Israel with God. Like if you look at the Old Testament, it's that dance. It's she, the house of Israel, doubts God's goodness. And then all of a sudden you have 10 plagues and a parting of the Red Sea and just miracle after miracle. But it's it's the cycle of the judges. We see that where the house of Israel rebels and then God, you know, makes his love known again. And then they eventually come back. It's this this back and forth dance. And then even at the end of the book, I have an entire chapter called Her Redemption, His Reward. If you look at a love story, you know, Rocky and Adrian or whatever it might be, that love interest that once rejected eventually comes around and she's somehow redeemed. There's some sort of restoration to what could have been or what once was. And then also his reward. Like we we like yeah. By the end of a book or a movie, we like the hero. Like we are pulling for him. We want him to win. We want him to win the heart of the girl. We want him to win the day. We want him to be honored and glorified. And that's exactly what we see in scripture. It's exactly what we will see at the end of the age. Like we, as the church, the love interest will be redeemed. The redemption story in scripture is unmistakable cover to cover. It's all about like, we have been corrupted. We will be redeemed. And then also his reward, like we will equally rejoice because the hero, the protagonist, Christ, will be rewarded and praised and glorified forever because he deserves it. And that is truly, going back to the title of the book, that's our heart's desire. It's him. Mm -hmm. We want to be redeemed. We want to see him rewarded. Yeah. So that's how Mm -hmm. the love story narrative, again, kind of bringing it full circle, as I was studying stories and understanding this like master narrative, and it wasn't even a spiritual Christian thing yet. And then I look at the story of scripture. I'm like, hold on in the same. Yeah. There's a reason. So very powerful. There is, there is because deep inside it is the heart of our story. And as you said, our heart's desire. So uh, before we, kind of bring this to a close. There's one thing that you talk about and you say, we like to be the heroes of our story, but really we're designed to be in a supporting role. Talk about that. Yeah. Going back to what I shared at the at the beginning, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It is not until you lose your life that things will start making sense. Mm-hmm. And so if I bring us back to the 24, 25 year old athlete who hadn't truly turned his life over. I thought I was the hero of the story. And I would have told you that I was a humble person. Like there's a big difference between arrogance, which is brash, loud out there, making a scene and pride. You can be completely silent Mm -hmm. and be totally prideful. It's a position of the heart. 100%. So if you think that you're the capital P protagonist of the story, first of all, you're wrong. But second of all, life life just won't make sense for you. And you'll see all these frustrations and stuff like, oh, why is God against me? Why is doesn't God know that I'm the capital H hero of his tale? It's like, but we're not. We're, we're just not. We were born in, into this master story about God. Yeah. It's a story that God has written. It's a story that he is starring in. God says in Isaiah 46, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done. He's saying, this is my story. I am the author. Everything that's happened 
everything that will happen was written by my hand. And so it's not until we realized that we were born to be a supporting character. Yeah. As is everyone, like the the master church, the love interest, even the enemy of the story, like we, you know, Satan, everyone has been created and everyone's been created to serve the story of Christ. Even Satan, like Satan has a per, all of his means are evil. He's trying to screw this thing, this thing up. He cannot outwit the creator. God is constantly using him, even his evil, just like in this of Joseph, you meant it for evil, meant it for good. And so, yeah, I think one big mistake that I fell into, and I'm sure if you're listening, maybe you've even heard people say this, well, like I have my story, you have yours. And I get what they're saying. It's not completely wrong, but if that's, if that's all you say, if that's all you think it is wrong, because even though Mm -hmm. you have your story and I have mine, we need to zoom out Yeah, because you're talking about one specific detail of the story in the master story. It's not about us. We are, you know, supporting character number three, right? That's walking by on the, on the sidewalk. And we all have different callings, but it isn't until we realize that this is a story about God that will truly come alive and truly start living our purpose. The purpose is to serve his story. Yeah. It's really a perspective change. And uh, we desperately need that to understand that big picture. Like you said, that master story. And so, so humbling. Like who wants to be a minor mm-hmm. character? That doesn't sound good, right? Like who <laughs> wants to be that? Well, the the sinner, the selfish flesh in us wants no part of that. But the spirit, like us following the, you know, look, look at Jesus. He humbled himself and took the form of a man, like putting others yeah. before you. We're just following his lead. But yeah, we are, we are supporting characters. That's where we fit into Mm -hmm. this tale. And when we have a surrendered heart, we don't resist that supporting role. We understand the importance of it. And there's less pressure. Not about getting to the big leagues or being the perfect mom or whatever. It's like, God, you're in control. Yeah. I'm doing the best I can. I'm going to, I'm going to come on board with what you're doing, but I'm not the hero. Yeah. I'm not the protagonist of this thing. I don't need to figure everything out. I don't even need to be awesome. Mm-hmm. I need to love you mm-hmm. and then trust that everything will take care of itself. Yeah. Way less pressure. Way less pressure. I love it. The book is called Our Heart's Desire, How Our Stories Reveal the Thing We Want Most. I'll make sure and put a uh, link to that in the show notes. And Bob, where can people connect with you? What's the best place for them to connect with you? Yeah, best place would just be on my website, bobwheatley.com. Got everything for you there. Give away a bunch of free uh, giveaways as a part of the book. So yeah, love to see you there. BobWheatley.com. I love it. Well, Bob, would you be willing to pray for our listeners and uh, just close us out in prayer today? Sure. Sure. Yeah, that'd be great. Heavenly Father, I thank you for who you are. Thank you for your character. Thank you for your sovereignty. 
Thank you for your plan and the story that you've written. I ask that you would help us to fall in love with that story. I ask that you would help us to fall in line with that story. I ask that you would help our resisting hearts to mm-hmm. really, like I said, fall fall in love with your purpose and say yes. And Lord, we thank you for the story you've written. Thank you for your word Mm -hmm. that we do have it in black and white, that we have the, we we know the ends that you have written, Mm -hmm. the the ends that you have declared. And Lord, they are, they are good. There's so much hope to be found there. Mm -hmm. And we thank you again. This is all rooted in your character and who you are. Mm -hmm. I ask that you would help us to become more like you. And I ask that you would help us to fall in love with you. Mm-hmm. And pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining me today on the No More Perfect Podcast. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe and follow so you don't miss any future conversations. You can find the show notes and links to anything we talked about over on jillsavage.org slash podcast. I hang out on Facebook and Instagram and would love to connect with you there. You can find me under the name jillsavage.author. One more thing, we have three free ebooks that we'd love to give you. You can find them at jillsavage.org slash free. See you next week where we'll have another conversation about the real stuff of life and relationships.